It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Intercepted. The buzz of a drone at night was the first sign of trouble. Next came the roar of a larger, lower-flying aircraft, which alerted residents of the Afghan village of Omar Khel that soldiers were nearby. Men in camouflage moved through the streets, speaking Pashto in English. It was December 2018, and the air was frigid. They made their way to the religious school, or madrasa, where more than two dozen boys between the ages of nine and 18 slept on the floors of several dormitory rooms. A neighbour watching from a window across the street saw a flash and heard a loud explosion as the front gate of the madrasa was blown open. Inside, The noise awakened 12-year-old Bilal, who was huddled in a room with nine other boys when an Afghan soldier burst through the door, pointing at the boys one by one with the barrel of his rifle, which was mounted with a flashlight. A second soldier entered, chose the two tallest boys, and led them out the door. The first man turned to leave, but before he did, he issued a warning to the rest of the boys cowering before him. If I find you in this madrasa again... We won't leave a single child alive. Bilal and the others squeezed together as far from the door as they could, with their backs to a large window facing a central courtyard. Many were in tears. Others couldn't speak at all. From the hallway, Bilal heard words he recognised as English. There were Americans in the corridor. In preparation for death, some of the boys recited the Muslim Declaration of Faith, known as the Shahada. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Just then, the sound of automatic gunfire tore along the corridor. Boys' screams came next, followed sometime later by two loud explosions. One shook the whole building, said Bilal. We didn't hear anything after this. Everyone was silent. 
When the sun rose hours later, Bilal and about a dozen other students remained crouching in silence, some still trembling with fear. Nearby, in two of the school's other rooms and in the basement, 12 more boys, their bodies mauled by bullets, lay crumpled on the floor. My name's Andrew Quilty. I'm a photojournalist by trade. I've lived in Afghanistan since 2013 after starting my career in uh, Sydney, Australia. Now I'm writing as much as, if not more than, I'm taking pictures. It started out when I was looking for a single case of uh, civilian casualties caused by these so-called strike force units that had become fairly notorious in 2018 and then again even more so in 2019. Reports started filtering out from a couple of provinces of these units that came in the night. They were better armed and better equipped and better trained than the soldiers that most people were familiar with. And they were often accompanied by American advisors, as they call them. Say that if we keep silent, so they will keep continuing killing the civilians and we'll do the same wild attacks. So that's why we want to take an action against them. The first one I came across occurred in early March 2019. I met the extended family of the family which had been targeted, none of whom had any connection with the Taliban, aside from the fact that they lived in a village that was controlled by the Taliban, as much of uh, rural Wardak is. We didn't know that the soldiers were around our house, and suddenly they opened fire from the windows toward us in the room. We all uh, lay down. And then uh, another plane hit our car, uh, hit with a rocket again our house, which blew up the, the, the car. Then again, a big bang. Then uh, suddenly my ears were singing like I uh, was not able to hear anything. And I was able to hear the screams and the cry, crying and the shouts uh, of my family, but wasn't able to move. I thought maybe I'm dead. I heard that the dead can hear anyone, but he can't speak and he can't move. So I wasn't able to move, but I was able to hear them. I tried to, to move myself, but I couldn't. But when I took a Another take a uh, when I took a deep breath, suddenly it tasted uh, dust. Then I realized the house has been collapsed. What led me down this path was that they said this was far from an isolated incident.
this was happening every night in Wardak, they were saying. I asked them if they could um, point me in the direction of any other families who'd had similar experiences, and sure enough, they did. And then it just became a matter of peeling back the layers of the onion, and they just kept coming and coming and coming. So as we started uncovering more and more of these raids, we started finding that there was a pattern to them. What was most strange about it was the nature of the targets. Those were firstly mosques and secondly madrasas, which are the Islamic schools. At least four of these Islamic schools had been specifically targeted by the 01 unit. At the time they were raided, they were anything but viable military targets. These were young children, some as young as eight or nine years old. We were able to corroborate details of nine separate raids over about a 12-month period, beginning in late 2018. From those, we counted just under 50 civilian deaths. Most of those were young boys in madrasas. Many others were women and children, old men... But my feeling is that we could have gone on and on and on and were only constrained by time and resources. My sense is that there were probably dozens, if not scores, of these raids. So the Zero One Strike Force unit was one of a number of similar units that were established very early on in the war after the American invasion in late 2001. They were set up by the CIA to capture or kill al-Qaeda and Taliban leaders and, and commanders. The strike force units appear to operate almost entirely off the books. The technical term for this is Title 50, which is the article in the American Code that permits covert actions. That means any operations conducted under Title 50 are plausibly deniable by those who conduct them. The only people who are aware of actions conducted under Title 50 are Congress and the President in the US. In Afghanistan, it's a different story altogether. I spoke to the National Security Advisor, and even he was unaware of the way that these units operated and under whose authority they operated. It's very difficult to find out information on them. It wasn't until soon after the election of President Trump in 2016 and the subsequent revision of his policy towards Afghanistan and South Asia that we started seeing these strike force units start to come back into play. Right around the time that the US had begun negotiations with the Taliban in Doha, Qatar, And throughout the 18 or so months that these negotiations were carrying on, these night raids by Zero One really picked up a pace and an intensity. And then in February this year, 
The US signed an agreement with the Taliban in Doha, and all of a sudden accounts of these night raids and the accompanying airstrikes fell off a cliff. They just disappeared. So it became apparent that the idea behind using these strike force units was to coerce the Taliban to the negotiating table, and we haven't heard much of them since then either. Madrasas are widely thought to be significant recruiting grounds for the Taliban, and there's certainly some truth to this. Much of the present-day Taliban were born out of madrasas in Pakistan. They're also a means uh, for poor people to have their children educated, to feed them, to house them. I think that the members of these Zero-One units and their American mentors and advisors believe that by attacking the students of these madrasas, they're eliminating future enemies. The way the international forces have conducted themselves since the beginning of the Afghan war, I believe, has had a huge impact on building their enemy. The Taliban has always credited civilian casualties as being a great recruiting mechanism for them. And it was no different in this case. Rather than appeasing the population by bringing security, they were imposing this, there's no other word for it, but terror, certainly on the population of Wardak. Not only was it distancing that population from the government, it was turning them against it. The widespread nature of this campaign throughout Wardak, I mean, this was all people talked about. The people lived and breathed this for a year in Wardak. It affected their lives day and night. I mean, farmers told me that in the summertime when they would usually water their fields, they wouldn't go out at night last year because they were so scared of uh, drones and the night raids that would follow them. People stopped sending their children to madrasas because they saw that they were starting to be targeted. You had entire families who left Wardak altogether because of the fear that they would be the next target. It was the thought that anyone could be targeted. You could be at home with your family. You could be watering your field in the middle of the night. You could be driving home from work or you could be a child in a, studying in a madrasa. None of those things took you away from the crosshairs of the Zero-One unit. When was, when was the last time you saw all the boys? So of the 12 boys that were killed in the madrasa in Omochel in late 2018, two of them were brothers aged 9 and 12. These were typical young Afghan boys raised in a very poor, very rural part of Wardak. Their father worked in Kabul during the week and would return home on the weekends. 
uh, during the week, the two boys, his two sons, would stay in the madrasa where they studied during the day. They would stay there overnight because it was too far for them to walk to and from home every day. And before they left, one of the boys had asked their father for a new pair of shoes because his were falling apart and it was winter and it was the morning after the raid occurred that their father received a call from their mother. She was extremely panicked and overwrought and all she said was, please come home. Yes, we saw just a few days ago when before they died. Uh... Uh, Saturday I came here and they went to Madrasan. I don't remember exactly if this uh, happened on Tuesday or Wednesday, but uh, I was in Kabul when my wife made an excuse and said, do you come over? She didn't tell me what really happened. Uh, but when I went there, So he left Kabul and before he did, he picked up um, a new pair of shoes, hopped in a taxi and drove for another three hours into Wadak and onto their village near Omakhel where they lived. By which time the bodies of his two sons had been collected by men from the village and transported home in, in taxis. Their clothes were covered in blood and their bodies riddled with bullets. He was, as you can imagine, furious beyond belief whenever he would see Afghan security forces or anyone he thought had anything to do with the government or the foreign forces he would lash out and he would find anything he could that could constitute a weapon and and try and try and take his anger out on them he told me he even went to a police checkpoint in the uh, provincial capital of Wardak and asked them to give him a suicide vest so he could blow himself up among them. This is how angry he was. He was, I mean, he was beyond, like many people who had suffered at the hands of Zero One, he wanted revenge. And he told me that his heart wouldn't rest until he until he got it. His wife was, um, as you can imagine, um, completely lost. She used to leave the turbans that the boys would wear to the madrasa uh, when they studied, as most uh, madrasa students do, out um, as she would when they were home before they were leaving for the madrasa at the start of each week. And among the rituals the boys' mother had taken to was cleaning their shoes on a daily basis and leaving them out for them as if they were going to wake up in the morning and head off to the madrasa.
And that does it for this week's show. You can follow us on Twitter at Intercepted and on Instagram at Intercepted Podcast. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our lead producer is Jack Desidoro. Our producer is Laura Flynn. Elise Swain is our associate producer and graphic designer. Betsy Reed is editor-in-chief of The Intercept. Rick Kwan mixed the show. Transcription for this program is done by Lucy Croning and Emily Kennedy. Our music, as always, was composed by DJ Spooky. Until next time, I'm Jeremy Scahill. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.